Hey, this is Rob, and this is episode 30 of the Folly Coffee Podcast. Let's get it brewing. Right. This episode is brought to you by Flare Espresso. They make awesome at-home espresso machines. I am anxiously awaiting my new Neo Flare Espresso machine. This thing's got automatic port-of-filter control. It's fully manual. It makes it so that you don't need that expensive, expensive at-home grinder to pull a great shot of espresso at home. Super affordable. Check out Flare Espresso at flareespresso.com. F-L-A-I-R Espresso.com F-L-A-I-R Espresso.com On with the show for this episode. Also, by the way, as I'm sitting down to record this episode, train goes by, the lawnmower guy decides to start mowing the lawns. If you hear background noise, I apologize for this intro. But this episode, I sat down with CJ, my buddy over at Up Coffee. He has an awesome story of how he got into coffee roasting, and it's a great lesson for anybody who's interested in roasting on how to get a start outside of just like roasting from home and going from there. Uh, Really good lessons. He took a terrible situation and turned it into something awesome, which ended up with him at Up Coffee in Minneapolis. So I will shut up and let you enjoy this Instagram live podcast episode. Enjoy. Oh, hello. Welcome to the Folly Coffee Podcast. Today's episode, we're going to be joined by CJ from Up Coffee. We're waiting for him to join. Join me. CJ's never done a live podcast, so we'll see if he can join us today. Mm -hmm. I see he's joined. He's asking to be in the live video. We're going to see if this works. My man, how you doing? What up, what up? Hey, can you hear me all right? I can. Can you hear me? All right, I can hear you. Let me turn my phone a little bit. All right. There we go. Yeah, buddy. All right. We got in. Uh, first live podcast for you ever. Yeah, absolutely. All right, cool, man. All right, so I'm going to just let me talk for like a minute. You can like just do a quick intro here, and then after that, we'll just get right into it. So for those of you just joining us below me, am, on your screen, am I below you? No, you're up. All right, I'm on top here. So joining below me here today is CJ from Up Coffee. He is the roaster at Up Coffee out of Minneapolis. He's a St. Paul native Afro enthusiast, which is probably pretty obvious by this video right now. (laughs) Proud member of Skull Nation. Go Vikes. And then UFC. Lover of good food and good beer. And as of late, I've noticed... Uh, of the shower beer, which is oh yeah, which is an excellent, excellent choice. Uh, and so I wanted to get you on today because we've got we've known each other for like a bit now, and uh, like we've just kind of meet in passing. We first met at the uh, Minnesota Coffee, Coffee Collective event mm-hmm. at Modest, and that's kind of the first time that we chatted for a while. And I was like, dang, this guy's like. He's been around the block for a minute here. And so I wanted to get you on. Uh, this, these are also very interesting times to talk, talk to other people in the yeah. coffee community. But today, just wanted to talk about, I love figuring out people's coffee origin stories. Like, how'd you get 
to where you are now in the coffee world, uh, what brought you there. And then from there, just kind of riff off of that. There's some things that I just have seen pop up on your feed that I want to ask you about later. But uh, just to get started, kind of, I know you're St. Paul native. Uh, what was like, what was like growing up in St. Paul? Uh, how did you find yourself at Up Coffee? Where did your coffee journey begin? My coffee journey began at my neighborhood coffee shop at the time was the JNS Bean Factory in St. Paul. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so that was kind of the place that I would just hang out all the time. Uh, kind, of a, kind of a little bit of a ridiculous amount of time considering that I was, you know, between the ages of 12 and 18, I just spent all my time there yeah. uh, instead of at, uh, you know, at the park or, you know, at the basketball court or that that was that was my place just that patio i just drink coffee and sit there by myself all day and i loved it uh and so i just got fascinated with this beverage itself and the kind of person i am is i like to i like to explore and i like to keep learning about things that interest me mm -hmm, uh, just keep going as far as you possibly can um, and with coffee, it seems like that limit just isn't there. And that's, stop. that's what fascinates me so much is there's always something to learn. There's always something to, uh, to, you know, networking teaches me a whole lot. Just having brief conversations with other coffee professionals broadens my knowledge a, a whole lot. So I think, uh, I think that is what the main draw of coffee was and still is to me today um and i started as a barista and just kind of kept going and kept learning and kept asking questions yeah. until somebody decided ah fine i'll just show you uh <laughs> you know because i kind of so were, you, were like, you a barista at jns yes i was cool yep, yep. i actually started mopping the floors mm. uh two or three nights a week i was just i was just the part-time six hour a week floor mopping guy yeah. uh, and then eventually a position opened up behind the counter and I took it and I just kind of took that and ran with it um so yeah it's uh it's it's been a it's been an interesting journey but it's been really fun and uh I'm at a place now at Up Coffee Roasters where I can pretty much just keep learning and keep pursuing new things and keep experimenting with different roast styles and uh you know, having some say in what we buy and how we roast it, that makes a huge difference too. Because mm -hmm. as you very well know, uh, the two same, two of the same roasts are never going to be the same between yeah. two different roasters, right? So it's we wild. get the same green beans, you and I, we could even roast it at the same temperature, have pretty much the same curve, and it's not going to be the same coffee. And yeah, that's, that's why I love that, it so much. Yeah, and that's something I found too is, uh, especially with cafe imports in town, you do run into that more so than I think in probably other parts of the country where you notice other roasters nearby uh, using the same bean as you. And it kind of used to uh, used to be like, ah, oh, crap, we should have done something different. But I think uh, Jeff, uh, oh, Folly Jeff, kind of mm -hmm. turned me on to the idea that it's like, it's not so much that like one bean is better or worse or that one roaster is better or worse, but everybody has a stylistic approach. And he said that that became apparent to him when he started cupping our coffees next to other roasters. 
uh, and he, he'll always, whenever it's the same bean, he'll scope it out. And he'll find that certain roasters have just like a certain extra feel to it mm-hmm. or just a different feel than others might. And so uh, you're roasting now at Up. When did roasting first start with you? Was that back at JNS? Yeah, it was. Uh, so I've been roasting for the better part of, I want to say, nine years. Yeah. Um, at different places and pretty much on every scale imaginable. So mm-hmm. I've roasted on the tiniest little sample roaster. And I've also worked at a commercial roastery where I was cranking out seven, 8,000 pounds per shift per day. So <laughs> kind of everywhere in between. Um, and it's been, it's, it's been pretty cool to kind of look back on all that and see uh, just the, the spectrum and how, how, much of a different feel it was at every single step. Um, so I've had people reach out to to Folly and be like, I want to start roasting. Where do I start? When you were at JNS, were you knocking down their door? Please, I'll do anything to roast. Or was it kind of like, oh, I fell ass backwards into this? Well, uh, this is kind of where this industry has played to my strengths because I'm a very patient man. And I, uh, I know what I want and I've always known what I wanted. And I knew that it's not a matter of when it was just, it, it's just how long it's going to take and how patient I'm willing to be. And I'm willing to be very patient when it's something I want to do. So I, uh, I took that floor cleaning job. I didn't want to clean floors. I mean, that wasn't what I wanted to do it. That's not your passion. (laughs) No, that's, that was not my passion at the time. (laughs) Not to say that it won't be eventually because who knows, but Uh, if you're going to clean the floors, they're going to be the cleanest floors anybody's ever seen. You know it, man. You know it. Mm -hmm. And and that's, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like I, I take what I do and I throw myself into it. Uh, and uh, so I always knew that I wanted to roast, but I also knew that there's a process and there's, you know, uh, a hierarchy, if you will, there's seniority, there's experience, there's all this stuff. And there was so much for me to learn before I could even get back there. Um, but I also was friends with the baristas at the coffee shop because mm. I spent so much time there. I was all a right. regular, I hung out with them all the time outside of work at work. Um, so I could kind of pick their brains on the side a little bit and eventually it just kind of fell into my lap. Yeah. The boss was like, well, why don't you just, why don't you just show them a couple of things? And, you know, and then I kind of took that and ran with it. Snowball effect yeah. type of deal. And, and um, so when you're, when you're sweeping floors, mopping floors, you know, you want to start roasting. That's kind of the end goal of, of why you're there. Are right. you, are you making it known? Are you putting the word out there? Are you in, in people's ear about it? Letting them know that you're at least interested or are you waiting to even reveal that you want to do it until the opportunity arises? For me, that was a fine art of mm. kind of, you know, being a little bit of this and a little bit of that. You want to you wanna make your intentions known, but you don't want to overwhelm people with them. Yeah. You want to let people know that you're interested. And if there's ever an opportunity that you would like to take it, but you also don't want to be pushy because right. that is off-putting. Right. Um, and as we all know, in the roastery, there's not that much room for a whole lot of people. Mm-hmm. So even if I wanted to bring four or five people in and show them what I do, I can't because mm-hmm. 
there's just not enough space. And right. even if all of them found space in there, there's not enough work for four or five people to do. Right. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's good to know and good to make your intentions known, but you have to, uh, you also have to understand that right. it, it took us a long time to get here. Right. And we don't have any intention of leaving anytime soon. So, you know, be patient. That's, that's all, that's all you got to keep in mind. Just be patient, be interested and be active with it, but be patient. I think it also, that speaks a lot to the type of person it takes to become a good roaster too, because mm -hmm. I find this formerly being of the beer world. I find this to be true in like craft breweries as well, or distilleries or really anything food and beverage, especially where it takes a long time to master I think a lot of people see the sexy side of the world that they're like, oh, coffee roasting is like pretty cool and sexy and, and like, oh, like brewing beer seems so cool. And I'm sure as you ran into churning out thousands of pounds of coffee a day, that's probably like the least sexy work that you can imagine because it's the same roast over and over and over. And the type of personality to be able to do that and want to continue to do it is the same type of person that says, oh, mop floors for as long as it takes to even get the opportunity <laughs> and so I, I i've given people that exact advice before that they go i want to start roasting i go you need to find a place that roasts and offer to do anything there mm -hmm. like unless you have a bunch of experience that's really your first option right uh so you start roasting at jns how long did you uh how long do you think it really took you to get into a good groove of understanding what you're doing on the machines um I would say probably a full year before mm -hmm. I felt confident to not need to have someone's phone number accessible and felt comfortable dealing with any of the emergencies that would happen with the machine. Uh, as we all know, you're putting flammable material over fire. It's, at some point, something is bound to happen. Yeah. Uh, so you just have to you have to be confident in your ability to deal with that emergency and not let panic take over. Uh, I've had, you know, admittedly, I've had a handful of roaster fires in my years, but what made me feel better is one of my buddies once told me that I wasn't really going to be a real coffee roaster until I set something on fire at least once. So, <laughs> so I the feel... first day you just threw a lighter into the, <laughs> <laughs> I felt, I felt pretty good about that, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's just, uh, uh, it takes time. It yeah. absolutely takes time. Uh, I kind of feel the same way about if you wanted to be a chef, you can't just walk up to your favorite restaurant and be like, let me cook. Yeah. They're going to be like, well, uh, you know, you got to start here and then you got to do that for a while. And then you have to prove to us that you can do this. And it's the exact same thing. And that's what, that's what a lot of eager people don't really understand is there's a process to learning how to safely operate a machine because roasters are very expensive and green coffee is very expensive. And if you screw it up, that's it. Yeah. It's done. So, you know, uh, yeah, I would say about a full year before I felt 100% comfortable to be back there by myself with no assistance or safety net. And when you were starting, did you start kind of by shadowing somebody or mm -hmm. and so were you just kind of following along and trying to pick up as you went? Was there a formal training program? How did you kind of how did it start when you'd never roasted a batch before? <laughs> My my first few days back there were just shadowing. Um, I would be there 
probably two or three hours before my shift started and just kind of hang out with him as mm. he was roasting. Um, I'm also kind of an obsessive note taker and mm. journaler. So I would always have my notebook. I'd always be taking notes. Uh, I never really truly retain information unless I physically write it down. So I yeah. always have a post-it pad. I always have a little little notebook in my pocket and a pen because, uh, you know, just over the years – it's it's been difficult to retain information, uh, yeah. so I have to write it down. But I also find that 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 helps me when I'm really interested in something, when yeah. I'm really passionate about something. It's easy to keep my attention in the first place, but that can also get me too excited, mm-hmm. and then I'll move on to the next thing that he's doing before I remember the first thing that mm-hmm. was really important. So I spent probably the better part of two months just watching and helping him load the beans into the hopper and weigh stuff out and kind of looking at how he replaces the thermometers. And um, so I, I actually, I still have that notebook somewhere in my filing cabinet. It's, it's about half of a regular standard notebook, just full of all kinds of notes that took me a long time to kind of siphon through and make usable. But uh, yeah, that, that's how, that's how it, happened for me um and then you know every time i do a little bit more actively Mm hands-on and uh that was that was the best way that i could ever possibly have learned was just by just by starting slow and then every time doing a little bit more and then having him be like okay why don't you do this part why don't you do the heat up or why don't you weigh out the next batch or you know something like that so uh, it was very effective for me. Yeah, but I know so, everybody learns different. That was just really effective for me. Yeah. Well, I think building a strong foundation is because when I started sample roasting, that was what was the most frustrating to me. Is I wanted to, I wanted, I'm not patient, so I wanted to do it all at once, and so I wanted everything to taste perfect. And you'd, I'd roast one great batch and be like, "Yep, I've got it. I know how this works." And then you do <laughs> the exact same bean with what seems like the exact same notes and it turns mm-hmm. out different. And because I was impatient and skipped a bunch of steps, I was like, I don't know why this turned out different. And uh, so you, you were at JNS uh, building up that foundation. You get to a year mark, you start to feel comfortable to roast on your own. How long did you end up roasting at JNS and kind of what was your progression like after that year? Mm. Man, I haven't had to, think about a time frame in a while um i was there for uh probably close to six or seven years oh, wow. total but not all of that was roasting a lot of that was just barista beforehand yeah, totally. and i did leave to go to school for a semester and mm-hmm. came back um so it wasn't all one one constant time frame but yeah. uh um, yeah, I would say probably, probably six years, something like that. Yeah. Um, and I was with, uh, uh, a couple smaller startups. I was with, uh, I was with Cameron's out in Shakopee. Oh yeah. Small was... little startup. <laughs> <laughs> that, that wasn't the small startup. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was, uh, so it, it's, it's been pretty cool to, to see the industry from so many different perspectives and How long uh, with Cameron's? um about a year what was that like that was crazy because i had never i had just never seen scale like that before you know it was just going from uh 
going from a 25 kilo pro bat to uh, a three bag machine. That was quite a, quite a transition. Um, what did they sell for? <laughs> what's that? No, you, you keep telling me what it was like to work there. I got to look something up. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was just, I, it was, it was a shock to the system. The first time that I walked out onto the floor, um, just because it was like, you know, I'm, I'm standing there and I'm looking up and I see the top of the roaster way, way up there at the top of the ceiling. Like you needed a scissor lift to get to the top of it. It was crazy. Was that your, was that your next step after JMS? Um, I think so. Yeah. I think that was after I left for a while to, uh, go to school. Mm-hmm. I had planned on going to school in Duluth. Um, and I had, I had everything set up and literally everything fell through. Like I had my college registration and I went up there for like a two day, two or three days just to do my uh, placement testing, um, look for an apartment and apply at a couple jobs, right. So that I could spend the weekend up there kind of getting a lay of the city and figuring out what I wanted to do and where I was going to live, um, and I drove back home feeling real good, real accomplished. And then I got this email and it said, uh, your, your, uh, your school registration, something happened with it. And I needed to do it again in person. I couldn't do it online. The part that I needed to do had to be in person. And I was like, okay, well I'll do that at some point. I'll make another trip out of it. And then I got a call from the lady at the Duluth airport where I have my job secured. And she said, uh, we're downsizing. We can't take any new people. I was like, okay, well, that that sucks. But, you know, there are other places to work. And then I had a weird feeling. So I started doing more research on this apartment. The apartment didn't actually exist. So, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's crazy. Because I went there and I looked at the building and I, I, saw, I saw an apartment. Like the guy showed me an apartment, but the specific <laughs> one that I had filled out the application for didn't exist. And I did some more research and I found a bunch of people who had also been burned by that. And Jeez. basically just like, you know, took my money and that was it. So I'm like, if, if that's not the universe telling me that I need to stay in St. Paul, I don't know what is because that was, that was a trip, man. Uh, yeah, that I haven't thought about that in a long time. That's pretty wild. Uh, yeah, I had so no school mindset. Like, I'm going yeah, to maybe. Duluth. I'm going to do this thing, and then they were just like, nah, nah, and nah. <laughs> so, yeah, but so, it all worked out in the end, right? And so at that point, do you kind of scramble to find new work in the Twin Cities area? Yeah, and okay. that's what actually led me to, to Cameron's. Uh, Cameron's. Yep, because I was. Uh, you know, I had left the bean factory. It's a very small staff and yeah. it's a neighborhood coffee shop. So at that time, uh, it was real hard to get a job there. Like everybody wanted to work there, but people had been there for nine, 10, 11, 12 years. Right. Yeah. It's not a place that you would just leave and then quickly come back into. So I needed to find other work. I still wanted to be in coffee. Um, my eventual goal in Duluth was to stay in coffee because yeah. there were a couple of places that I had my sights on, but I needed something immediate if I was going to pay for rent and school and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I just started looking at coffee jobs around the cities and that was, uh, that was one that I took and, 
I met with everybody and I loved all the people that I met and the energy with the team was just great. Uh, I still stay in contact with those guys, um, meet up with a beer every so often. And so uh, that's, that's kind of the thing about this industry is I've just made so many friends at every job that I've been at. And I can't think of another field I've been in where that has been the case. And I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, and, and what I was looking up earlier was, uh, to put it in perspective, for someone who might not be familiar with Cameron's, is that they sold for uh, $113 million was the yeah. sale, sales price on that one. Yeah. Now, when they sold, had, were you already gone by that point? Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, that was only a couple years ago. Yeah, that was pretty recent. Yeah. yeah. And, so, and so you're at Cameron's. What's the next step after Cameron's? Um, that might have been... I might have been back at the bean factory for a little bit after that mm-hmm. or i might have been at uh black eye okay. coffee roasters at that point um during their initial startup mm-hmm. process um yeah one of the two doing if, roasting for them yeah okay. yeah and then after that is that when you end up at up coffee um i might have gone back to cameron's <laughs> a second time <laughs> Like I said, man, I haven't thought about this time frame in a long time. I bounced around a lot. A little uh, bit. Yeah. If I either went back to Cameron's a second time or I went right to Up after that. Okay. And so when you come into Up, are they looking for a head roaster? Are they looking for help? How did you... No, they're, they're just looking for a roaster. So yeah. the roast master was looking for a, another roaster back there. Nice. Um, and... That's that's kind of a funny story too because I uh, I got the phone call and this was actually uh, right after right after I got burned by Black Eye um, I was feeling really like you know this is not the industry that I'm meant to be in kind of thing yeah. um, after after you go through a souring experience like that it's kind of it's kind of hard to stay positive and maintain your perspective on stuff um so i was looking at just general jobs and i was thinking uh you know okay i'll do one search i will do one coffee job search and that's it and i did and i landed on this job and uh i got a phone call from the roast master and he told me to uh you know prepare for this interview and he was like uh we really appreciate a snappy dresser around here so you know dress nice uh you know nice shoes uh iron pants um and a bow tie let me just tell you goes a long way to making good impressions (laughs) so now i'm sitting here at home and i'm like man and i'm i'm ironing my pants i'm getting my best shirt out i'm steaming that thing and i don't have a bow tie and i'm pissed because i wanted to check all the boxes right i found a a different tie and uh i i walk into the cafe and i say you know i'm here for an interview and all the all the folks in the cafe are just you know normal normal cafe clothes and then uh, they went and got him. They got Jesse. And he comes out and he's got this. He has the audacity, first of all, to have a Green Bay Packers hat on. That, that was not cool. Uh, second of all, he's just, he's just like in a, 
in a regular hoodie and jeans and stuff and he looks at me and he just starts laughing and we start going back into the restroom I'm like okay okay you know I got you I see what you did I felt so uncomfortable sitting in that cafe in my like in my like uh lint rolled pea coat <laughs> and my nice Burberry scarf and my purple button down and my tie and my slacks I polished my shoes man like <laughs> I went all out on that one. Uh, that, it's an interesting position to put you in. Because yeah. if you go, I think he's joking, you don't show up, it's almost like they go, oh, so either... Hmm, did he catch on to our humor and that's why he didn't dress up? Or is he too cool for us now? Is that Because right. you almost have to do it, even if yeah. you know it's a joke. Yep, you <laughs> do. You do. <laughs> and I did. Up. I did, and well, I was the only one wearing anything buttoned down in but, that But now cap. you wear that every day when you roast. <laughs> naturally. So it's, naturally. Yeah, yeah. You, you're going to stick to a bit if they're going to make That's you do right. it. That's right. And so Up, Up is doing uh, some really high-end coffees. Have, have you uh, – had you roasted coffees, like, of that caliber, like the range that you guys do? Um, nothing like that. No, yeah. so, similar stuff. Yes. Um, smaller batches here and there, but nothing, nothing like what I'm doing now. Um, yeah. and it's been, it's been super cool to work with the coffees that we work with and being able to meet the farmers and stuff mm -hmm. like that, like that, that has been just life changing. Um, but yeah, the, the range of coffees we have are unlike anything I've been able to work with before. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm super, super fortunate to uh, have access to all that stuff and be able to be able to share it with everybody. It's, you know, it's, it's something, something very special being able to take something that someone else is going to brew at home and have them blown away yeah. by how that tastes like that's that's a really cool feeling it's a great feeling when you're like i know if if you know, someone's like oh which bean should i get and you go i got one you yep. got it you got to get this one then they you get that text and you're like dude they I'm come like, back yeah. in the next morning like, yeah, and they're like it's yeah, the best yeah, that's what i'm saying so you brought up something i actually wanted to ask you about is uh trips to origin uh, mm -hmm. we actually have not done any trips to origin at fall yet uh you know we just got past two year two and we were starting to plan them this year and then this word's this year has been a little weird uh yeah. i don't know just, if you've been reading the news but bit. things have been a little weird so it's kind of shifted our plans <laughs> but i wanted to pick your brain about this because uh i'm curious which trips you've been on how it changed your perspective and I, i'll i'll recap my first question. You Thank don't have you. to remember all these questions about that. But the things that come to mind when I'm looking at origin trips, because when it, it's like, it's a big t uh, investment of time and resources, and I want to make sure that we're doing it effectively. Mm -hmm. uh, so when you're planning trips to origin, like what is your main goal? Let's look at your first trip to origin. What was your main goal in taking the trip? Was it to go buy coffees i have a specific farm in mind we're gonna buy coffees from them i want to go taste them or was it a little bit deeper than that um so my first origin trip my boss and i david chaw the owner of up coffee roasters we went to um uh, we went kind of on a a double origin trip so it was a two week long trip one week in peru one week in colombia um the first week in peru um, that's, that's David's longest last or longest standing coffee relationship. So that was the, uh, 
correct me if I'm wrong, David, my bad. I believe that was the first direct relationship that they mm-hmm. had. Um, and we buy more of that coffee than anything else almost. Okay. Um, because we've got, we've got such a good solid relationship with them. It's awesome coffee year after year. So um, we wanted to just go down there and hang out with them and, you know, visit some of these farms and uh, just spend time with them. We knew we were going to buy more coffee from them. So that mm-hmm. was just kind of like a reestablishing our personal connection. And uh, um, they had uh, the Cafe Feminino Foundation has a little, I think it's called a Chocolatada celebration. They bring up these little like, uh, I forget the names of them, but they're kind of like a fruitcake type mm-hmm. of thing. And they take them up to the communities and make this hot chocolate drink and give the kids hot chocolate and cake. It was around Christmas time, uh, early December, I believe. Um, so it was just it's just kind of a thing that they do for their farmer communities every year. And we were going to be a part of that and just kind of meet the farmers and everything. The second week in Colombia, we had a green sample that we had been sent and just fell in love with it right away. So we reached out to the, the uh, importer and asked them, you know, is there any way that we could like come see you and come see your farms and stuff? And they were like, yeah, absolutely. Um, and what's funny is the guy that picked us up our first day in Colombia to take us to the next farm and take us all around the rest of the trip was a guy that I met at uh, Roasters Guild a couple years before that. So here I am Bizarre. in the middle of uh, Peria, Peria, Colombia. Again, everybody, my bad if uh, that is completely not the right name. Uh, I open the elevator door and there's Daniel a guy that I roasted coffee with at this competition. And I was just like, <laughs> small world, small, coffee very, very world. <laughs> small world. That was crazy. Uh, yeah. So that one, we had a specific mission and we were going to, we wanted this coffee and we wanted to see the farms. We wanted to uh, ensure that, you know, all the workers are happy, healthy, uh, well-fed, have sanitary conditions. That kind of thing is very important to us too, as well as the quality of the coffee. Um, and we just kind of wanted to see their process and see what what all was there. And I had never been out of the country before these trips, besides a trip to Canada once. Uh, so like Minnesota on steroids. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So it didn't feel out of the ordinary at all. And then I had about six days to prepare for this trip um, because a spot opened up right away and I had less than a week to go get my vaccines and get my gear and then be gone for two weeks uh, out of the country in two different countries when I had never done that before. So yeah. that was a, that was a really special trip for me for a lot of reasons. I conquered a lot of fears. I saw a lot of new things. I met some awesome people that I'm still friends with and still chat with today. Uh, every year at SCA, I meet up with these people and have a drink and kind of you know, just hang out with them. And that's pretty, yeah. that's pretty special too. But yeah, so the first trip was kind of just reestablishing our relationships, and the second trip was definitely purpose-driven. And mm-hmm. we that is the Columbia that we offer today uh, in both regular and decaf because they have recently started decaffeinating some of their coffee. So our decaf Columbia is the exact same coffee as our caffeinated Columbia. Oh, that's right awesome. Now. So that's pretty cool. 
And so looking back on your first trip, is it, is it what you expected? Um, yes and no. I didn't really know what to expect. Um, I kind of, I, I have had a fear of travel for most of my life. I don't know why. It's pretty irrational, but there's just something about, I'm, I'm an introvert. You know, I just am. I'm a homebody. I don't feel the need to go out and do a bunch of stuff. I don't do concerts. I don't do like, you know, I don't do stuff like that. I'm the kid that always sat at the coffee shop by himself. I wasn't the kid that would go to First Ave and go to the concerts. I was at the coffee shop by myself with a notebook. That's what I did. So the whole idea of getting on a plane and going way south for a long time in a place that English is not the, the first language, you know, all of this kind of scared me a little bit but it was a it was a healthy it was a healthy fear yeah. and it was it was uh it was it was good it was really special because of that reason um it made me realize how much bigger the world is and how at the end of the day we're all just people and you know uh we all like to we all like to eat we all like to have have a beer by the fire on top of a mountain, you know, even if we can't speak the same language, we can speak enough of a language to like communicate. And that was what was the coolest part about it was being able to understand all of these people, even though I couldn't understand them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I also got to eat guinea pig at one of the farms. I got to eat some cooey. They prepared it especially for me because they found out that an American really wanted to try it. And she uh, she went and she got me one, and it was pretty good. <laughs> there are pictures of that on our Facebook page, too, somewhere. I, mean, I have some somewhere, too. But, yeah, that was a special trip. Yeah, and that's that's a big – those two reasons really are why we want to do it is we have – uh, not technically direct relationships, but, you know, direct connections to farms that we've uh, purchased from. Uh, and we want to create more of that personal connection, but also to discover what that is. And I think there is a level that even I will admit I probably don't have because I haven't been there. I haven't seen it in person. Uh, and you can watch as many videos and communicate with someone as much as you want, but it's not going to be the same unless you can be there and experience it in full. And so hopefully that's something we can do maybe late, late this year, mm -hmm. maybe early next year, once everything kind of uh, settles down. Um, and so kind of along that vein with things being as crazy as they are right now, I'm curious what your experience has been like during all the closures and everything. Um, I, I don't know if you, I was just looking at the computer right before we hopped on. It sounds like Governor Walls is lifting the stay-at-home order uh, on the 18th. And then it looks like restaurants, bars, et cetera, uh, potentially 6-1 is the goal date of, of that being lifted. So that's kind of the first time we've had any sort of idea of when that might end. Right. But how's it been on your side? Uh, I'm, I'm very curious because you have a big wholesale customer base mm -hmm. of like cafes, bars, restaurants, serving your coffee. How's it, how have their responses been in working with them during this time? Yeah, we've had, uh, for a while we had to close the cafe entirely mm -hmm. um, right as soon as that that first stay at home order came in and everything was really uncertain. Um, especially with, can you do takeout? Can yeah. you not? Um, we just, we just had to close everything down and kind of gather our thoughts and get, get a plan together that made sense for everybody. Um, we have since brought everybody back. 
So everybody is back in the building as of right now. Um, and we, we have stayed in the roastery the whole time, even when there was a lot less to roast, there was still, you know, stuff to be deep cleaned and side projects and organization to get done. Uh, our warehouse manager got the building painted and it looks really good. So we had a lot of time to do stuff that we normally just don't have time for in mm -hmm. these busy, busy months. Cause this is, this is kind of the start of the really big busy season for us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was a, a chunk of time where there was a noticeable decline in coffee sales uh, just yeah. because so many of our customers were closed. Um, and so many of them that were open were doing much less business, obviously. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, it was, it was challenging for a while. But uh, fortunately, we have started to see a pickup in orders again. And yeah. um, it these last couple of days, man, it's felt like a normal summer day. Like it just, it just feels busy and go, 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 go. And orders coming in and phones ringing off the hook. And it's, it's good to be back for sure. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy yeah. that it felt like as soon as we brought the cafe staff back and brought all the warehouse crew back, um, it's like that day, all the customers started ordering again. It's almost like they knew it was so huh. weird because the day before it was dead. And that day, that's when it was like, we just flipped a switch and we're back to normal. All of a sudden, all the people are here. All the orders are here. All the customers are calling. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, well, it's kind of like people are going to drink their coffee and yeah, they're, they're going to yeah. find a way to get it. And so that's, that's kind of the, the lock we all had to find a key for was, okay, well, if this is happening, people still need coffee. Where are they going to go to get it? How are they going to get it? What's going to change? And so that's how I viewed it is I, I try not to panic too much and just be like, mm -hmm. okay, well, people are still going to drink coffee. How can we get it to them in the form that works best for these times? And we don't have a cafe, so there was no option to be like, well, we could do takeout or some sort, but uh, that it's 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 been interesting to see the general public respond. Not only I want my coffee, but also to if this I'm sure this has been your experience, but the extreme outpouring to support local and yeah. people going out of their way that hey, if I am going to get a cup of coffee, let's make sure I'm getting it from a local roaster or going for you know the small locally uh, local owned independent roasters, mm -hmm. which has been really cool to see. And that may be one of the big positives that comes out of this is. I think this, I may be hyping this up a little bit more than it deserves, but before this went down and trying to look at the positives here, because obviously there are a bunch of negatives, but beforehand, I think people are like, you should drink or you should eat local. You should drink local because it was like on trend or like on, right. br on brand. Yeah. That's like, I eat local. Mm -hmm. I'm a good person. And then you ask somebody like, why do you think that is a good thing? And they're like, cause it's the right thing to do. And it's like, okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. Like if, if, if people are going to be on board with that, I'm not going to push back on that, of course. But when something like this happens, it really makes you think about why is it important? And you go, oh, it's because that's our entire economy. Locally. Right. The money yep. you spend locally stays in Minnesota. It keeps right. people fed and in business and people employed. And it's almost brought more transparency to like, hey, we're not telling you to eat local because it's like this trend. We're telling you to eat and drink local because that's how we stay here. And you yeah. get these awesome, unique places, especially in coffee. You know, it's like 
I think it's extremely important. So hopefully that's a positive that comes out of this. Uh, I, I think I think it will be that people. Will I agree think, with you. I, I think people will think a little bit more about purchases they make in the future. Yeah, especially with something like coffee. Um, how's uh, how's it been doing? Like the takeout. Have pe have people been pretty smart about it? Or and like yeah, because I've heard some stories about people not following rules or like right. getting confrontational about it. And I was curious about that. Uh, have you had any issues like that with customers not being upset that you're only allowing takeout or? Um, the only thing that I can think of is a couple of people were not super happy that we weren't taking cash right now. Um, but that is just for the safety of everyone yeah. involved. Um, for, you know, I, I feel like this whole thing is bringing a lot of hidden frustrations out of people, things that they were frustrated about long before the coronavirus hit. Yeah. And now that they have to stay at home and kind of stew on it, it's been, I mean, this, I'm talking about myself here, too. I'm not just putting yeah. everybody on blast. Talk about myself, too. Uh, it's It's been difficult to kind of deal with a lot of those internal things that you would normally have an abundance of outlets for. Go to the gym, go see a movie, <laughs> yeah. you know, all kinds of stuff like that. And now you just have to stay home. And that – so I feel like a lot of people in general – have been kind of taking that out on a lot of service workers that are mm -hmm. still open. Um, I've got some friends who work at, you know, Caribou and Starbucks and just some of the stories that I've heard from them are awful. Yeah. Um, we have not experienced anything like that to my knowledge. I'm, uh, I'm in the roastery. So I'm on the other side of the wall from the cafe, but uh, it's a, we're a pretty close, close group. So I feel like I would have heard something about that. Um, That's good. Yeah, so for the most part, it's just people, you know, frustrated that they can't pay in cash. And I get it. I understand that. Um, but we're trying to keep our people safe, too. Um, yeah. And, you know, if it came down to it, if we got a, a regular coming in and they're really upset that they can't use cash, I'll buy you a coffee. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> it, we'll figure it out, man. We'll yeah. figure it out. It's all good. Um, we've, we've, we've got a, a really good group of customers though, and people have been really supportive and really respectful of our rules. And, uh, you know, we've got the, the spacers on the floor and mm -hmm. the direction arrows to kind of limit the amount of contact. And people have been really good with following those, those rules. And it's, it's, it's a weird time, man. It's, it's really weird, but we're doing the best we can as a community and, I feel like I feel like we're doing pretty well, all things considered. Mm -hmm. um, you know, especially with uh, with just the uncertainty mm -hmm. of the future. Like, how long is this going to last? What is it going to look like for the summer? Like, there's so many questions that people have, and I know it's scary, and I know I know it's frustrating. Um, but people, as a whole, have been very good to us, and we appreciate that. Um, because it makes a, it makes a big difference. If we're all in this together, and if uh, if we're all good to each other, it'll be a little bit easier to get through, and we'll all be happier when we do get through it, which we will. It's not going to look the same at the end of it by any means, but we'll get through it. Yeah, especially the coffee community, like stuff like this, just this podcast, me sitting here chatting with you. This is 
the happiest I've been in a long time. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, you know, chopping it up, talking coffee with with another coffee professional. This is great. This is important. This is the kind of thing that we need to do more of, and just keep that line of communication open and keep networking, even if we have to do it socially distanced. You know, mm-hmm. this is this is what's going to get us through this in the long run. And yeah, uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited that I was able to be here. Yeah, and it's it, it's funny you should say that because I, I've always said it since day one with Folly that's like I think the rising tide raises all ships, and so sometimes in coffee especially, but all food and beverage, any local business, you're gonna compete naturally with other local businesses. Mm-hmm. But if there's one thing we can take out of this is you realize the power of a public shift to local that you go whoa if all of a sudden the national chains. And these huge businesses, the everyday customer shifts over to local, all of a sudden the pressure to compete with other local businesses is lifted. Mm -hmm. And I think it makes the entire community a little bit stronger. And that sense of like, I need to beat this other other (laughs) roaster or other shop or whatever it may be. uh, There's enough room for everybody if people are intentional about where they shop. Mm Because I think it's a... It's a cliche, but it's like you vote with your dollar. Yeah. Where you spend your money, those are the places that thrive and the places that you don't, those are the places that go out. So for places I think like up or hopefully what we're doing at Folly, like we're very intentional about how, how we roast our coffees, which coffees we're roasting. It, it means a lot to us. People can vote and say, hey, I dig that. I like what you're doing. Here's some dollars so that you can continue to do that. Right. Versus the, the you know, the big chains, you go into a Starbucks and I'm not saying that there aren't people passionate there, but it's a little different when there's so many levels of how that goes on and where that money goes. And right. the more you dig into their, like the sourcing and the coffees and this and that, and that's a whole nother podcast episode, but Hey, let me be a part of that one. <laughs> that, one that one could get, that one could get spicy. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Here's my last question for you seeing is how you are uh, all over the food scene. What is, I'm putting you on the spot here. I'm not going to say the most underrated burger. I'm going to say what is an underrated burger that comes to mind when you're like, all right, everybody talks about the heavy hitters. Mm-hmm. What's an underrated hey, burger? Well, let me ask you, what are the heavy hitters? All right, let's, let's write these out here. I'm going to go in recency uh, because that's going to be easy to remember. I think Parlor Bar has an unbelievable burger. Yes, they do. Uh, Shout out to Chef JJ. Parlor Bar has an unbelievable burger. Uh, Belcour goes under the radar. Out in Wyzetta, they have a dirty French mm-hmm. burger. They do it smash burger style. Extra cheese. Uh, in-house baked bu- buns by Chef Diane Yang, who's up for the James Beard Award right now. Yep. Also, I worked there for a while, so I know all <laughs> about it. But the, the dirty burger at Belcour. Uh, St. Dinette, that was another one that I tried for the first time recently that has an absolutely killer burger trying to think if there's anyone on the list i think those are probably the three i hear about most mm-hmm. when you ask people oh and then of course you go into the juicy lucy side of things the matt's bar the the five eight like and that's that's a whole different debate oh and uh a blue door if you're in, the, mm-hmm. in that juicy lucy talk so like if you say burgers those are the ones i hear about but like where is a place and you can name multiple where you're like you don't hear about it but that's where you got to get a burger Well, the first one that comes to mind, I'm actually surprised wasn't on your list, uh, Shamrocks and the Nook. 
Oh, the yeah. Nook. I, mm-hmm. I don't. I haven't had a Shamrock's burger. They're, uh, man. There, there's something else. It's uh, growing up in St. Paul and specifically in that neighborhood. Uh, Shamrock's was just three or four, or I'm sorry, the Nook was just three or four blocks away from the bean factory. And my parents' house at the time was uh, only a couple blocks away from that. So it was walking distance from my house to the Nook to the bean factory. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the triangle of all of my summers spent in that neighborhood. Um, Yeah, the, the triple B, the bourbon bacon burger at the Nook or Shamrock's would be my first suggestion for they you. They both have one called the Triple B, or it's is that... the same. It's the same uh, owners. Oh, so, so okay. So I've been to Shamrocks the is the bigger one that's down by my house off of West Seventh and Randolph, right on the corner there. Yeah. The Nook is much smaller, but they've got that bowling alley in the basement too. Uh, the old Ranham bowling alley. Yeah. The Nook absorbed that, so that's that's kind of a cool spot um, triple b burger from oh, shamrocks man. or the nook that's the one you gotta let me know when you try it because it's it's something else and get the get the cracked fries it's it's the normal fries with uh cracked pepper and uh garlic on it and it comes with a special sauce Whew. Man, all right i'll change about. your life yeah the <laughs> nook i haven't been there in years that's a good one. Well, that's I appreciate you coming, and we're approaching an hour here, and that's where they kick us off of Instagram Live. Right. On. But appreciate you joining. Hey, uh, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate being here. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's some really good information for someone who's looking to get into roasting, origin trips. Like, I think your story of bouncing around is one that I've heard from a lot of people in coffee that it's like – it's it's not a traditional career where it's like you go here and then you go here and then you right. go here and then you end up with that this thing that you were aiming for all along. Yeah, Ro- roasting is exactly what you said. You could start on a twenty five kilo machine. You could end up roasting seven thousand pounds, and ironically, one could be more rewarding than the other in a lot of that's different right. ways. But I think that's a key takeaway for me. Just hearing your story uh, to more detail than I had before uh, is there really is no one story, and I think I already knew that, but uh, I think as long as you're patient, you build a foundation of knowledge and you like, I don't know if it's wait your turn is the right way to say it, but be ready. To an extent, yeah. Yeah, be ready for when your turn comes along. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate you coming on, man. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, have a good one. You too. Cheers. Later.